Turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's take a look at the first five verses, and then um, we'll, we'll move into our teaching. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, says this. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I have previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me and who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Verse 5, the thrust of our message this morning. Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. Question for you this morning. Talk about a movie, we can talk about a book, we can talk about a speech. What's the most important part of a book? What's the most important part of a book or a speech? The beginning and the end. Because the beginning of a speech, a book, a writing, the purpose is to grab your attention. And uh, the final point, the, the final part that's written in a book is to make an impact and make you think about everything that you've read. It's to take you on after you've left this book. Now, let's look at what the Apostle Paul began with in this book. There's actually a Bible verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that matches 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it is this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins both letters to the Corinthian church with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his opening statement to the church at Corinth in both letters he writes to them. So the thrust of the message of Corinthians is teaching them about the grace of God, about the grace of God, about what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about God's grace. He talks about heaven. He talks about repentance. He talks about what it means to live for Jesus. So Paul, on his second missionary journey, he spent 18 months at Corinth. On his third missionary journey, he spent three months, and he wrote two letters to them. And that was the driving force. That was the driving force of the Apostle Paul, was to take the gospel to the Corinthian church. Not only did he go there and he win converts, but he established the church there. And then he began to teach them and train them in the ways of the Lord. And now he comes to the end. The end is the conclusion. It is the impact. And in verse 5, this is the, I think this is the climax of Paul's letters. This is the most important thing. After I've trained you all this time and after I've given you all these letters, he's asking the question, now that you understand the grace of God and you understand the gospel, is Jesus living within you? Is he living within you? This, is, this was Paul's aim from the very beginning, was to, to point them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to bring them out of the darkness and into the glorious light. I went back and looked at our calendar. 13 months ago, 
April 1st of 2017 at um, Dutch Fort Middle School, we began our journey through 1 Corinthians. So it took us 13 months to go through 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so I present to you this morning, after everything we've learned in these two great epistles, is Jesus Christ in you? Is he dwelling inside your heart? That's the aim. That's the goal. Is he living within us? You know, um, Christianity is about God living on the inside of us. I'm going to talk about this in a little bit, about the ancient religions and their, tr- their, their trinkets and their statues. And it was all about outer things. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is God living on the inside of us. Amen? That's him living on the inside. So let's pray, and we'll get into this verse by verse. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, as we look at it now, um, call us to yourself, and let us soak in these awesome biblical truths that's written in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Paul says this, This is the third time I am coming to you. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I had previously said when present the second time, and though now absent, I say in advance to those who have sinned in the past and to all the rest as well, that if I come again, I will not spare anyone. Now, the first thing you need to understand, Paul's been to Corinth twice, and he's heading back there for a third time. Except this third trip to Corinth, Paul is on a fact-finding mission. He's on a fact-finding mission. He wants to know to the Corinthian church, are you real or are you fake? Are you real? Are you transparent? Are you authentic? Or are you just playing the game? He, he He wants to know where their heart is. We're going to see in this passage some very serious, there's a very, the language uh, presents a very uh, serious tone where Paul is being very direct and very to the point. It's like, this is my final words to you, and I want to make sure I get this across clearly. When I come here, I'm coming to investigate, to see where you're at. And then he says um, in verse 1, look there, he says, every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I love this about Paul. It's a, very, it's a great biblical concept. Jesus quoted this verse in Matthew 18, 16, but he actually got it from uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 19, 15. Deuteronomy 19, 15 says this. A single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. My friend, before you make an accusation, we need, you need to do your homework. You need, to, you need to do your homework. Paul is going to them. He's going to the church at Corinth. He says, I don't want no slander. I don't want no gossip. I don't want no hearsay. I want the facts. And I'm going to come in and I'm going to be talking to different people to establish the facts by what? By witnesses. And that's very important that we get our facts straight. Today we live in an age, where do we get our facts from? Google, Facebook, Internet. And when it comes to spiritual matters and spiritual business, 
that is not the place to get our facts and to get our information. I just read a story yesterday. There's a very prominent minister in America that many pastors had to come out and send in a, a letter of apology because they were bashing this person. They were bashing this minister. And what they did was they were going off of what was on social media and they were making false claims and false accusations instead of doing what the scripture says, finding witnesses, establishing the facts. In so many cases, you know, we go to the wrong sources. When, when, you know, when, people t- when somebody tells me something about someone, I don't buy it, this hook, line, and sinker. Would you, can you believe what happened here? Or can you believe what happened there? I'd be like, okay, you know, I got it. I understand what you're saying. But before I proceed any further, I'm going to go find the facts by two or three witnesses. And notice in verse 2, um, Paul says at the end of verse 2, he says, I will not spare anyone. <laughs> I will not spare anyone. Paul was very serious. What he's saying here when he says, I will not spare anyone at the end of verse 2, he's saying this. He's saying that we're all on the same playing field. We're all on the same playing field when, it, when we stand before the Lord. It's not different strokes for different folks. There's one standard. There's one standard for all believers, and that's Scripture. That's the Word of God, what it says. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to the way we live, there's only one standard, and the standard is the Word of God. It's, it's talking about holiness, faithfulness, um, our loyalty. When I, read, when I first read this verse 2, when, I, when it says, Paul says, I will not spare anyone, the first thing that came to my mind is, man, he is laying the wood. He is laying the wood. Paul is very serious. He's very serious to them. But question for you this morning. How important is is your relationship with God? Paul understood the importance of a person being in a right relationship with God. And he understood the importance it should take in our life, in in our faith in him, in our integrity, in in our holiness, in our faithfulness, and our commitment. It should be of the utmost importance. It should be the utmost importance. You know, I measure my commitments in length of time. And there's a relationship that I have with God that's going to go on for eternity. So that should be number one. Then in this life, my family, they, they, they are number two. Because I'm going to spend the rest of my life with Irene, Emily, and Daniel. Then after that, the church, the body of Christ, or in your case, um, your job. We need to prioritize. When he says, I will not spare anyone. We're all on the same playing field, and we need to take our relationship with God. Very important because it is very important. Uh, Verse 3, he says, uh, since you are seeking for proof of Christ who speaks in me, now, the Apostle Paul here is going to go into a, a, a prophetic doxology. He's just going to go into this, this praise of the Lord, starting with the very next word there. Halfway through verse 3, he says, And who is not weak towards you, but mighty in you? For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him. Yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. It was like Paul was so passionate 
and so on fire for the Lord and going there to make sure the church was established that he goes into this prophetic utterance of talking about the greatness and the power and the majesty of God and his power to, uh, to change lives and to transform people. In verse 4, I want to bring to your attention, he says, in verse 4 it says he was crucified because of weakness. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, he came in humanity. He came in flesh and he died on the cross. He came in the weakness of human flesh. God, from all eternity, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, stepped from time into eternity and he took on flesh. He took on flesh. And from a humanistic standpoint, from the Greek philosopher's standpoint, from, from the humanistic wisdom of today's standpoint, that's weak. That he would come as a man and die on a cross. But little does philosophy or, or, or back then or today know that was the power of God and his salvation. That was the way God chose to bring you and I into a right relationship with him was through the sacrifice of Jesus and through his resurrection from the dead. Also in verse 3 there, go back up to verse 3, there's two, two uh, phrases I want to bring to your attention. In verse 3 he says, uh, he's not weak towards you, he's talking about us, he's not weak towards you, but he's mighty in you. And at the end of verse 4, the power of God is directed towards you. As I read this, I thought about that worship song that we've been singing now for 10 or 15 years. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. God is mighty to save, and he is mighty to transform your life. But one thing has to take place. One thing has to take place on your part. You have to open your heart. You have to open your heart. You have to open your heart. God will transform you if you will open your heart. Some people come to church and they're not changed. We see that. People come to church and they're not changed. Why? It's not God's fault. It's because they won't open their heart. That's what God asks of us. That's what God asks of all men, to open their heart and let his mighty power come in and transform them. The power of God directed towards you. He is mighty to save if we will open our hearts and let him come in. Now, up until this point, uh, chapters 10 through chapter 12, Paul has been on trial. Paul has been on trial. They've been attacking Paul. They've been questioning Paul. Are you really an apostle? The church at Corinth had these false teachers there, and the false teachers were attacking the character of Paul. And I love what Paul does here. Paul's not a wimp. He's like, okay, you want to question me? I'm going to turn the tables on you. I, I'm, I'm going to turn the tables on you, and I'm going to question you. Look at verse 5. Verse 5, he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, is what it says. This was the, Paul's apex. This is the apex of, of the entire Bible. Is Christ living in you? Is he dwelling on the inside? Are you saved? This was Paul's objective in, laying out, in, in, in writing First and Second Corinthians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This was Jesus' mission as he came to earth. 
was so that he knew in his foreknowledge, he knew because he was God, because he was deity, he knew that Paul would be living today, Paul Dobeck back there, and he knew him, and he was going to come up, to, coming up with a plan where he could come and live inside of Paul's heart. And not only Paul's heart, but every single other person's heart here to dwell inside of us. Tradition, let me just say this, tradition says this, tradition says we should never question our salvation. We should never question it, but the scripture says differently. It says right there in verse 5, he says, Paul says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. He even says, he says, examine yourselves. You know what, that's a wonderful question. That's a beautiful question that we examine ourselves in the here and now. You know, I would rather examine myself now and find out, well, maybe I'm not saved and get it fixed. There's nothing more important than a person's eternal salvation. So Paul's saying here to examine yourself. The scripture, let's, let's take a detour for a minute. And I want to talk about the three elements of what the New Testament talks about when it talks about salvation. The Bible describes three elements when it comes to a person getting saved and coming into a right relationship with God. And I want to explain them to you and talk a little about them. These are the three areas. The first one is repentance. The first one is repentance. Jesus said in Mark uh, 1.15, he said, repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. Over and over throughout the New Testament, we see this admonishment to repent. And repentance is, um, some people say it's a change of mind, amen. Some people say it's a change of heart, amen, it is. But what repentance is, it's a turning away from the old life and turning away from it. It's, it's, it's turning away from the old, old way of life and turning to Christ, turning away from sin, leaving the old life behind and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at, uh, I love this passage, Psalms chapter 51. King David wrote this after he slept with Bathsheba. It was his prayer of repentance. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. Psalms 51, 1 through 4. David says, in his heart of repentance, he's pouring his heart out to God. He's very remorseful for what he's done. He says this, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak. My friends, repentance is this, real simple. It's apologizing to God for the way we've lived our life separated from him. It's apologizing to him for us breaking his commandments. All the lying, stealing, adultery, fornication, not always placing him first. All those times where we put ourselves on the throne, it's apologizing and just saying, God, I'm sorry. I apologize. I understand I've broken your moral law. I have understand I've broken your moral law. And because I've broken your moral law, I'm a sinner. 1 John 3, 4. Sin is transgression of the law. Repentance is a turning away from the old life. Repentance is vertical. Repentance is vertical. In my sin, I have not offended Dan, but I offended God. So my repentance is directed toward God. It's directed toward him. It does not mean that we're perfect. 
Christians still blow it and they still sin. But it's, it's a heart turn away from that old way of life where we start moving towards the Lord. Doesn't, it doesn't mean we're perfect. And what, 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 I like, what I like to explain to Christians, when you become a believer, you're in the fight. You're in the fight. You're in the fight. You still sin, you still blow it, and you still want to kick yourself, but you, you get yourself back up, and you dust the dust off, and you keep on going, and you bring it to his throne of grace. That's what grace is for, by the way, to take us out and to carry us into this new life away from the old life. So that's element number one. Have you repented? Have you apologized to God for the way you've lived in rebellion against him? Number one is repentance. Number two is faith. Number two is faith. Love this verse. Every Christian should have it memorized. Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's faith. Faith is you putting your trust in Jesus. Faith is, faith is, is believing in Jesus. Faith is, is trusting in Jesus. Faith is a commitment to Jesus. It's, it's taking yourself off the throne and saying, Lord Jesus, I now put my trust and my faith in you. I put my faith and my trust in what you did for me at Calvary by dying on the cross for my sins. I believe three days later you rose from the grave and I believe you're seated at the right hand of the Father today and I place my faith and my trust and my commitment in you through your word. That's faith. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? Have you repented and said, God, I'm sorry. I've blown it. And have you put your faith, not your mom and dad's faith, not your friend's faith, not your wife's faith, not your, your husband's faith, but have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the second element that we see in, in, in salvation when a person comes into a right relationship. The third element, you know what, I don't, know, I don't, even, I don't even know if element's the right word. It's, it's like looking at the process of salvation from three different angles. We see repentance, we see faith, but we also see this exchange on the inside. And that exchange is this. When you become a Christian, you receive him. You receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he comes and he dwells on the inside of you. That's an element of it. Uh, John 1.12 says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. There's this element where it's not only repentance, where it's not only faith, but he comes and dwells on the inside of us. You know, you are flesh and you are spirit. And that spirit, a lot of times the scripture uses the word spirit and heart interchangeably. But Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, he comes and he dwells inside. So that's the third aspect of, of, of salvation. So when we examine ourselves, when a person examines himself, they need to ask those three questions. Have I repented? Have I put my trust? And has he come inside my heart? Has he come inside? Has he, have, have I invited him? Have I opened my heart and said, Lord Jesus, please come into my life? Come into my heart and take over and transform me. Those are the three 
angles, if you will, of the, of the process of salvation. But this third one is very important. It's more than just mental. It's more than just our mouth, but it's our heart. He comes inside. Look at the end of verse 5. Continuing in verse 5, because this is the heart of our message, is this one verse. In verse 5 he says, or do you not recognize this about yourself? Here it is, guys, that Jesus Christ is what? He's in you. Jesus Christ is in you. The ancient world back then in the New Testament times, they worshiped false deities. They worshiped false deities, Atlantis, Titan, Diana, Zeus, and they came in the form of um, statues. They came in the form of statues and they came in the form of trinkets. They were carved out of wood. And people had these ancient religious things. Their purpose was to protect and to guide the people. The people were very religious, but it had nothing to do with their heart. It had to do with what they clinged to on the outside. It could be a statue of Diana. It could be a, a, a little wooden statue. You know, I, I've been across Europe. I've, I've been to Spain, Italy, Greece, Israel, all over Europe from my military days. And every, everywhere you go throughout these cities, there's all these little shops. And they, they got these little statues they want to sell, especially in Israel. Especially when I went to Jerusalem. They have these little shops of all these figurines of the Virgin Mary and, and Jesus and people wearing necklaces and statues everywhere. They have all these things. In Acts chapter 28, verse 11, Paul, on his trip to Rome, he, he, he left Malta, stopped by Augusta Bay, Sicily, and he was en route to Rome on his final journey, the last chapter of the Bible. And it says, Paul was on an Alexandrian ship. And on that ship, it had the twin sons of Zeus. The, tw the twin sons of Zeus, Acts 28, 11. And the purpose of the twin sons of Zeus back then in this very religious world as it is today, their purpose was to protect and guide. So where would those faces be? They would be on the front of the ship because those false gods, those deities, were to protect the ship as it was making its way through the rocky seas of the Mediterranean. People do the same thing today. People do the same thing today. People put things on their mantle. People put things on their dashboard. A couple years ago, actually it was more than a couple years ago, it was quite a while back, me and Irene, we were shopping for a Honda Pilot. And uh, we, we found this Honda Pilot on Craigslist and called the guy up and said, hey, we want to come look at your Honda Pilot. He said, okay. So we met on Monticello Road and we pulled into the gas station and there was the Honda Pilot. Like, wow, this is nice. So the guy hops in the back seat, and, and um, me and Irene hop in the front seat and go to take off. And guess what's sitting on the dashboard, staring at us? Buddha. <laughs> a, 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 a Buddha doll. And me and Irene look at each other like, oh, boy, <laughs> let's take that thing down. <laughs> you know, we were kind of smirking and laughing at each other, you know, looking at this Buddha statue. But there's a couple of problems with that. There's a couple of problems with that. One, he was plastic. And two, he's facing the wrong way. If he's supposed to be leaders and guidance, he needs to be turned around. It's plastic. It's nothing. Folks, this is not Christianity. This is not Christianity. We don't have no wooden idols. We don't have no uh, things on our mantle or on our car. We have God dwelling on the inside. We have, this, that's not Christianity, these statues. It's Jesus Christ dwelling inside of you. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for I, 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let's drive it home a little bit. Go, let's go a little bit further. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus' words to his disciples. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be what? He will be in you. That, my friend, is Christianity. That is Jesus Christ dwelling inside of us. That is where the Apostle Paul is going with the church at Corinth. That he's dwelling inside of us. He's dwelling inside of us. And in the verse, let's finish up this verse here. He says, or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Look at the next phrase. He says, unless indeed you fail the test. Now, my friend, if you're here this morning and you've been examining yourself, and you say, you know what, I think I failed the test. Pastor David, what should I do? My friend, you need to rejoice. You need to rejoice and be thankful that you've discovered this. There's millions of people around the world today that are donning the doors of sanctuaries and cathedrals and churches and everywhere, and Christ is not in them. There's nothing, if you discover that, rejoice. Why? Because you're on this side of the daisies. You're not pushing up daisies yet. And you have time to get this fixed. You have time to get this fixed by receiving him as your Lord and Savior. By saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. Come into my life. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. I said when I first came up, if he's calling you, don't harden your heart but open your heart. Amen? Amen. God loves you. God loves you. But he, but he has to deal with this sin first. You have to receive his sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that can be dealt with and your sins can be forgiven. And then because of his resurrection from the dead, you can experience this new life. That's what he's calling you to. Not to religion, but to a relationship, to a living relationship with him and how do you do it by this Jesus that's written in this book the holy bible the word that's forever enduring his word this is this is his word from heaven to you and to me amen i love what um look at verse 6 this is this is the pastor's heart in the apostle paul you know he's he's been very firm he's been very um poignant with the church at Corinth. Now look at verse 6. It's almost like he's driven home the point and, he, and he's going to go to that pastoral encouraging heart. He says this in verse 6, but I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Why does he say that? I trust that we ourselves do not fail the test. He's saying that because in light of the false teachers, Paul is saying, if you believe this gospel that I have presented, which we know as of today is the New Testament, you can't fail. You can't fail if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you follow his word and you walk out this living relationship with Christ, you can't fail. A change will take place through his word, by his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. 
You won't. You won't fail. Look at verse 7. Now we pray to God that you do no wrong, not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you, you may do what is right, even though we may appear unapproved. I love verse 8. This is one of my life verses. I, I memorized this verse the first year I became a Christian. I'll tell you why in a minute. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. 1992, I came to Christ. I was in the Navy. I was on, I was on a ship out of Norfolk, Virginia. And I got radically saved. And I went on the ship, and it was witnessing to people, talking to people about Christ. It's like I got into a philosophical quagmire with all the different people of different religions. Well, how about the dinosaurs? And how about evolution? And, and how about this? And how about that? You know, and I was like, whoa, my head's starting to spin, you know, trying to figure Christianity out and what God says about, about creation and, and all the different world religions. Well, how about this religion? How about this religion? And I, God took me to this verse and I memorized it. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. The book that you have in your hand that we call the Bible, everything written in it is unchanging. Is unchanging. Everything written in this Bible is eternal. Is eternal. Everything written in this Bible is true. It's true. Because the author is none other than God himself. And he gave it to us. That's why we can trust this Bible. Because nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, he says, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The universe will crumble and implode before the word of God fails. It's by his word that creation is sustained. It's, it's, by his, it's by his word and by his power that we see that sun every day in the earth orbits, in the ocean tides. It's, it's by God's sovereignty and his power and his unchanging truth that our hearts continue to beat this morning and that we have another day to serve him, that men have another day to get right with him. It's because his truth is unchanging. It's our anchor. Amen? It's our anchor. Folks, be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, go home and dig into this book. Dig into this book. Search it out and let it grow because the truths are unchanging. They're eternal and they last forever. In, 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 in the word of God, uh, there's no equal writing. It's, it's, it's God's revelation to us. Amen? Amen. Let's finish it up. Finish up 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul's going to close them out with a very encouraging words here. Verse 9. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you be made complete. For this reason I am writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use it severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. You know, God, three things there. God wants you built up. He wants you established in your walk with him. He wants you on a firm foundation. 
He doesn't want to tear you down. Yeah, he wants to remove some of the old stuff, some of the old fluff, and remove it from your life. But he wants to build you up and put you on a solid foundation. And in verse 9, he says, Paul says, that you be made complete. You know, we are made complete. You are made complete when you come into a right relationship with God. You, come into, you, you are made complete. I believe mentally, physically, spiritually, you are made complete. In other words, when it says you're made complete, you have what you were, you have what life was intended for you to have, which is a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I believe we're at verse 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice. I love this. It's like encouraging words. He's sending them off. He, he's pastored them. He's shepherded them. And now he's saying, hey, man, y'all go forth and do great things for the kingdom. Finally, brethren, verse 11, rejoice. Be made complete. He says, be comforted. Be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, the greeting of the day. Back then, verse 13, all the saints greet you. And here it is, guys. Three things that every believer should have in verse 14. There's so many different, let's, let's look at it. Verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This verse right here, he says, there's three things that God wants to be in your life. He says the, the last four words, these things be with you all. That means for everybody. And the first one in verse 14 is one, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's grace, Jesus' grace living inside of you when you repent, believe, and receive. His grace dwelling inside of you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the love of God. One of the marks of a believer is God's love dwelling inside of us. Love, where we love other people with the love of God. His love dwelling in us. So grace and love. And, and, and thirdly, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That word fellowship, it, it just speaks a word of, uh, of relationship, him dwelling on the inside, abiding in the Holy Spirit, fellowshipping in the Holy Spirit, spending time in the word, spending time in prayer, and letting the Holy Spirit do his work in your life. These are the three things that happen inside of a Christian, not to mention verse 14 in, in, in typical Pauline fashion, a reference here to the Trinity, to the grace of one, the second member of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, the love of God. I'll add God the Father. And thirdly, in the fellowship of the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, this is what he's saying to you. Don't harden your heart. Open your heart to me. Open your heart to me. And the three things that happens when a person becomes a believer, it's, it's not being, by being confirmed, it's, it's, it's not by walking an aisle, it's not by signing a card, um, even though those things are all fine and good, but it's three things. It's repentance. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I apologize to you, Lord. Faith. 
I put my faith and my trust in you, Lord Jesus, and receiving him, asking him to come into your heart and saying, Lord, I open my heart to you. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you stand at the door and you knock. And you invite whosoever to have a personal relationship with you. Lord, stir our hearts and let us see this great and awesome truth. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you're not in a right relationship with God and you want to respond, I'm just going to ask you to slip up your hand and just say, Pastor David, please pray for me. I need Christ. I need him to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. And then maybe you're here this morning and you need to rededicate your life. If that's you, he stands at the door and invites you to come back to him wholeheartedly. Lord God, we, we love you. We thank you for your work in our hearts and lives. And I just pray, God, that you would just stir your people and let people see the awesome love of God. Help them to see the beauty of the gospel and the forgiveness and grace that you offer them. Lord, we love you, praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.